Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Thank you so much for your giving today. Uh, as I mentioned, we're kicking off a brand new series entitled Crown. Um, and a crown is a symbol of power. It's a symbol of authority. For thousands of years, people have crowned kings and queens to rule over them. In the kingdom of God, though, there is a tension to the crown. Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that we could inherit a crown of majesty. The crown of thorns versus the crown of majesty is a picture of what Jesus is to you. And the question becomes, is he only the Savior that bore the crown of thorns in your place, or is he the king crowned with a majestic crown to rule over your life? How many know there's a difference between God being, Jesus being uh, Savior versus Jesus being Lord? A lot of people want Jesus to save them, rescue them. They just don't want to make Jesus the Lord of their life. And so the goal of the series is to help you understand that Jesus has, in fact, been crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but we have also been crowned. And this first message, I want to talk to you about breaking the power of Satan. Hit your neighbor and tell them we're going to break the power of Satan. That was the wrong person. Tell somebody else. That was, all, that was awfully weak. Breaking the power of Satan. And I've got a lot of scriptures for you today. In Hebrews chapter number 2, starting in verse number 5, reading from the NIV, it says, It is not to angels that he was subjected to the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. And right here, we begin to see a quote that is taken from Psalms chapter 8. And he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them, speaking about man, a little lower than the angels. And here's very important. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. I want you to get this. He put everything under our feet in creation. It says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, but now he's been crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for, that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect. That word perfect actually means complete. Through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. How many are thankful that you're the same family of Jesus, right? This is so powerful. Man, this text is, is just so, so much meat here. It says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them 
brothers and sisters. The writer of Hebrews is quoting an Old Testament passage out of the book of Psalms. When God made man, the Bible says that he crowned man with glory and with honor. To put glory and honor on man means that God put some weight on his creation. He put some weight on man. Because the Hebrew word here for crowned means surround, all right? The word crowned here actually means surround. So it was not a crown that he put on man's head, but it was a, a crown speaking of a surrounding about man, about men, about women, that God put a surrounding around them. And the Bible says that you and I have been appointed as kings, not, not uh, man appointed, but God appointed. Uh, the scripture says, this is going to blow some of y'all's mind, you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are now a king and a priest. All right, that's our position in Christ. That, that is our, our status in Christ. And so when God created Adam, the first man, he crowned him with glory and honor. He put some weight on man. In other words, there was something on man that separated him from the rest of creation. God crowned him with an all-encompassing crown. This presence of God surrounded man. It enveloped him. And before Adam and Eve, we know that in the beginning, in, in the book of Genesis, that before they sinned, they had this glory and honor, this presence of God that rested on them. They had some weight on their lives, so much weight that whatever they said happened, that every animal had to obey the words that came out of Adam's mouth. Why? Because he had been crowned with the presence of God. God had surrounded man with his presence and had put everything in the earth under the feet of man. Now, we know that Adam and Eve lost that, but I'm going to go ahead and just let, let it out of the bag today. How many are thankful that everything Adam and Eve lost, Jesus has already restored back to us? This is This is awesome. Very important to understand. So God says, this glory and honor, I am putting it on you, and I'm going to set you over the works of my hands. So God put all things, including animals, in subjection under man's feet. And all Adam had to do was speak, and everything in his world would begin to obey the words that came out of his mouth. This is what made the fall of man so tragic. Satan had no power in the earth because in order, a lot of people talk about, you know, ghosts or, or demons and, and spirit. But what you have to understand, in order to have power in the earth, you have to first possess a body. Because man is in authority on the earth. So I ain't afraid of no spirit. Any spirit, right? Right? I don't care how evil it is. I'm not afraid because in order to have authority, uh, an evil spirit has to possess a body. And so Satan came into the garden, and what did he do? He possessed the body of a snake. And he began to speak to Adam and Eve. He began to talk to them. And, and that's why the Scripture says when God cursed the snake, he, he fell and upon your belly you shall be from here on out. In case you don't know this, um, snakes used to be upright. 
They used to have legs and they used to walk until God cursed the snake. And then, since then, how many know the devil has been slithering around ever since? Come on, somebody, give him praise right there. So Satan possessed the body of a snake and he came to Eve. And what I want you to get about this is that Satan always tries to position himself between the voice of God and the ear of man. Because when Satan entered the garden and began to tempt Adam and Eve, how did he tempt them? He tempted them by asking, did God really say? And it caused them to question all that God had said. I wonder today how many of us are listening to the lies of the enemy instead of stepping into our rightful place of authority in God because I have been crowned as a king and a priest and the enemy has already been placed under my feet. Somebody giving praise right now if you know that the enemy has already been placed under your feet. Now, this is so, so good. Satan always tries to position himself between what God has said and what we hear. And man fell, and and the glory and honor, again, it wasn't a crown on man. It was a presence on man. And that authority and that presence of God that was on them was now lost in the garden. It's why Romans 3.23 tells us, it says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And what this means is, is that we have all missed the mark and forfeited what God has granted us. That the glory and the presence of God on Adam and Eve, at the moment they sinned, it disappeared. The Bible says that after they fell, they realized they were naked. And, and the scripture's not so much talking about the clothes they were wearing. They were naked now because the glory and honor that God had crowned them with was no longer evident in their life. They sinned and the glory of God disappeared. And so Psalms 8 and Hebrews 2 tell us that God created man a little lower than the angels. Now, some people will teach you that we were created a little lower than God, but a proper study of Psalms 8 and Hebrews 2 will show you we were created a little lower than the angels, but don't worry, in Christ, we are above the angels. In Christ, we're above the angels. Now, watch this. The writer of Hebrews then says, For God put all things in subjection to man. So God left nothing that he has not put under man. We can't see all the things that God has put under us because death is the last enemy. Physical death is the last enemy. The last enemy is not terrorism. The last enemy is not a financial downturn. But the last enemy to be defeated in our lives is physical death because even in physical death, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And death is the last enemy. Come on, somebody. It's the last, so we can't see it all. We can't see everything yet that God has put under our feet, but the writer says we can see Jesus. If you can see Jesus today, take 10 seconds and give him some praise. We may not be able to see everything, but we can see Jesus. Now watch this. He said, for the sole purpose that he might taste death for you and me. 
Jesus suffered. This is Holy Week leading into Good Friday. When Jesus suffered the death on the cross, and the writer here says that he tasted death, he suffered so that he might bring, this is Hebrews 2.10, that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory. And it says he was, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect. Everybody say perfect. Perfect through what he suffered. Perfect does not mean perfect like you and I think of perfect. The, the Greek meaning, the Hebrew meaning here, it, it means complete. That in Jesus, everything has been completed. And what that means is, is that Jesus was and is perfect. In him, there is nothing defective. In him, there is nothing missing. In him, there is nothing lacking. In him, there is nothing broken. Jesus tasted death for our on our behalf so that we might inherit everything that he has for us. I'm talking about breaking the power of Satan, but one of the reasons we can't break the power of Satan is because we got a large part of the body of Christ that has no idea who they are in Christ. We are living beneath our privileges. We are living beneath our rights as kingdom citizens. And we read verses like this, the purpose of, of Jesus' suffering was to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And we read that, and what we do is we, we, we take it out of context and say things like, well, it's talking about bringing sons and daughters to glory as in heaven. But that's not the context here at all. Glory in this context that we, we just read is God crowning man with the glory and the honor that he had crowned man with in the Garden of Eden. The next verse says that both he who sanctifies and he who, uh, those who have been sanctified are all one. We are one with Jesus. We, we are one with Jesus, and right now, spiritually speaking, listen, in this room physically, we're sitting in this auditorium, but if you could see yourself in the spiritual realm, you have been seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. You are one with him. You are... You are his brother. You are his sister. Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God. That's where he's at. And, and that is where you are, spiritually speaking, which means that your position in Christ means that everything is already under your feet. Every plan, every tactic, every scheme of the devil, everything he brings against you, spiritual warfare isn't like this, baby. Spiritual warfare is like this. The devil is already under your feet because of your position in Christ. You have been crowned, you have been surrounded by the presence of God. Some, some of us have to take back our rightful place. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 16 and 17 says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. And, and you, you remember this in the Gospels. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
All we heard, and, and we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is, is talking about, he's writing about how Jesus, while on the earth, was receiving glory and honor from his heavenly Father. And he received that glory and honor. We know he was the Son of God, but how many of you understand? He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. So he had emotions, he had temptations, he had feelings, he had all the things that we have. But he, the Father was, was putting glory and honor on, on Jesus as he spoke over Jesus. And the question is, what did the Father say? The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So Peter is telling us Jesus received glory and honor from the Father because he was hearing from the Father that, that the Father was pleased with him, that he was the beloved Son of God. And, and so by speaking that, he was crowning Jesus with glory and honor. Now, Jesus came to restore the glory and honor on us that Adam had lost. I want to tell you that what Jesus has done for us is greater than what Satan did against us. Some of us have more confidence in what the devil did than we do what Jesus did. But we got to get our eyes off of humanity and get our eyes on divinity, on what Jesus has accomplished. I want you to think about this if you're a parent today. Think about this for just a minute. I'm a parent. Many of you are your parents as well. But I tell my kids every single day, multiple times a day, how much I love them. It's important because by speaking that over them, um, it, it does some things for them. Um, some of us were tempted to think if we tell them they're awesome and we love them all the time, then they'll get uh, prideful and you know, they, they won't humble themselves anymore. They'll, they'll, they'll boast about who they are. And that thinking is manufactured by the devil. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The more you say that, the more you tell your kids that you love them, that, like if I look at Eli and say, You're, you are my beloved son, and so is Zeke, and in you I am well pleased. If I'm making that declaration over them, what I have to understand is, is that if they receive that, They'll actually become more humble, they'll become stronger, and they'll become more successful. Jesus heard the Father say, you are my beloved son, and in you, I am well pleased. The Father didn't say in that moment, I'm not going to say that because if I tell him I love him and he's my beloved son, he'll get prideful. The Father spoke, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And the results was Jesus was 30 years old. He had not done a miracle yet. He hadn't started his ministry. And after the father spoke this, he entered into the wilderness. And, and the Bible says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil showed up. And I want you to watch this. The devil tempted Jesus when he said, If you are the son of God, then command these stones. This is, this is important. I want, you to, I want you to notice the devil dropped out one word. He didn't say, if you are the beloved son. He said, if you are the son of God, then do A, B, and C. The devil could not remind Jesus that he was loved by the Father 
because that would have been counterproductive to the devil's temptations. The same is true with you and I. The devil cannot ever remind you that you are loved by God because that is counterproductive to his plans against you. On the contrary, if we can show people that they are loved by God and that they are the beloved sons and daughters of God, they can step out of a, of a place of being defeated all the time and they can start stepping into a place of victory because today, church, we're not fighting for the victory. We are actually fighting from the place of victory because while we were still sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. In our worst condition, when you get a revelation that you are God's beloved, you can begin declaring that you have been crowned with glory and honor. And as you declare that, you get stronger. Your body gets stronger. Your mind gets stronger. A large part of the body of Christ walks around feeling defeated, feeling unworthy, feeling distant from God questioning, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Well, all you have to do is look at the scriptures and, and it will tell you very clearly, while we were sinners, he died for you. When you were at your worst, Jesus died for you. He's already proven that you are loved. There's a story of Zig Ziglar, the famous Christian author who was also a motivational speaker and he shares about a time when he was in a hurry and he was in a street, and he passed by a beggar that was on the side of the road. And this beggar was um, begging for money, but he was also uh, in his begging. He had pencils and pens set up, and he was saying, you can take one for a dollar. Uh, but most people were throwing in money and, and not even taking a pencil um, because he was homeless, he was poor, he's begging for money. And Zig Ziglar walked by one day and he, he threw in some money uh, and, and began to walk. And then he turned around and, and he went back to the beggar and he said, hey, I put in some money, now I want my pencil. And the beggar said, please take, take a pencil. And Zig Ziglar took the pencil and he said, you're no longer a beggar, you are now a businessman. A few years later, Zig Ziglar was at a conference, and this man that was a former beggar, he described him as still young, handsome, properly dressed, looking like a businessman, came in and says to Zig Ziglar, you don't recognize me, but I was the beggar. Your words changed my life. Most people would drop money in but, and not even take a pencil, and th they would walk away. But you came back, and you, you spoke over me that I was a businessman. And from that day forward, I never begged again, but I began to see myself as a businessman, and I want to thank you for investing in me. You say, why are you telling that story? I'm telling that story because if that can happen for a beggar on the street, how much more for those that have been saved by the blood of Jesus, redeemed by Jesus, how much more will it affirm us and help us step into our rightful place when we start hearing that once I follow Christ, I have now been crowned with glory and honor. That is my position as a son or daughter of God. I have everything Jesus has. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. I have been crowned with his presence. If you believe that today, give God a praise right now. Give him a praise in the house. 
Now, let me take a minute and try to, to wrap this up in a nice little bow. Um, affirmation doesn't mean you never correct your children. But when they know they are loved by you, how many know re- correction is received easier? See, we get, all, we get all crazy in church because we get corrected by a leader or we get corrected by the Holy Spirit and we think we're not loved. Right? Just because I correct my children, that's not an absence of love. That's probably the definition of love. Sometimes love corrects. But, but if I know my place and I've been affirmed in Christ, that even if God has to correct me, I don't begin to question whether or not he loves me. He very much loves me. And, and so if, if I never tell my kids how much I love them and then I correct them, how many know my, my construction, constructive criticism may crush them if they don't know that I love them? But if I've already laid a foundation that they are loved, then they don't have to question my love when I have to correct them. We understand today that we are in a spiritual fight. And I think part of the battle, and, and we'll just steer away from my notes for a minute because there's so many tools I could give you in this spiritual fight. We could talk about prayer, the importance of spending time in the presence of God. We could talk about getting into the Word of God and reading it. We could talk about attending church regularly and getting in small groups and serving. How many believe that all those things will help you in the spiritual fight? Right? I could talk about all those things. But listen, if we do all those things and we still don't know who we are in Christ, you will serve, go to groups, and attend church praying and still live defeated. You have to know that Jesus suffered death, he tasted death, to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And right now, the scripture says, he's not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. This is awesome stuff when you understand your position in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings, and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. The Word of God is very clear. We're not in a battle with flesh and blood. It's really, really clear. How many know that sometimes it feels like we're fighting flesh and blood? Because um, principalities manipulate personalities. And so you think you're fighting the person, but you're not fighting the person. You're fighting the spirit behind the person. I know this is, this is like first Wednesday kind of meet. But, you know, I, I just have something in me in this season that if we, if we continue to teach people here, they're going to live here. So I, I'm, I'm tired of just trying to finagle my way around and make sure everybody get. I'm going to start teaching here so that we can all rise up here. I want you to get this. I want you to know your position in Christ. See, Satan, at the end of the day, and this was a big struggle for me. It's the reason I struggled to preach when God called me. It's because I didn't understand my place. 
And it wasn't my place in the body or my place on a leadership team. That stuff's irrelevant if you don't know your place in Christ. And until I got an understanding that when I gave my life to Christ, he truly did forgive me of all the wrongdoing in my life and that my position and my status in Christ was not a worm begging for forgiveness anymore, but my position in Christ is a son of God who has been crowned with glory and honor. And though I did unrighteous things, the moment I came to Christ, I am no longer unrighteous, but I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done. You have been crowned with glory and honor. Come on, stand to your feet and give him a praise this morning. Let me give you one more verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. It says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, an individual personality. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. Christ is called the last Adam. He's not the second Adam. He's the last Adam because we don't need another one. We don't need another Jesus to show up. He, the Bible says that when he died, not only was his blood spilled on Golgotha's mountain, but the Bible says that he walked into the heavenly holy of holies and he took his own blood and he, he dripped it, he, he poured it out on heaven's mercy seat. Jesus went in. They had to go in year after year making sacrifices until Jesus. And he went in once and for all. Come on, give him praise if you're thankful for that today. When you, when you understand who you are and you start reading scriptures like, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We read over that stuff and think, I don't have any power. I don't have any authority. I, I can't do anything. If the kingdom of God is going to come, it's not going to be while we're all sitting around feeling defeated, Jesus is going to show up and manifest the kingdom. If the kingdom is going to be manifested, it's going to be manifested through his sons and daughters who know who they are in Christ. That's how it's going to be manifested. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for a couple of moments. I want to speak to those in this room today that you're in the room today, but you're not in relationship with Jesus. You don't know him as your personal savior. I have delivered to you today the gospel that while you were a sinner, Jesus willingly tasted death on your behalf and the purpose was that many sons and daughters could be brought to glory and that he would not be ashamed to call them a brother or a sister. Today you have an opportunity, whether you're watching in line or you're in this room, to join God's family. And we do that by accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
So as your heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, you're talking to me, and I want to make some things right with God today. I want to receive the finished work of Jesus. I need his grace and his forgiveness. I need him to save me. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are, long enough for me to see it. I'm not going to embarrass you, but thank you for this hand over here. God bless you. Thank you for this hand. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Before we pray. Anyone else? I'm going to give you just another minute here. Anyone else? You say, Pastor, don't leave me out of this prayer. Acknowledge it by raising your hand. Anyone at all. One more over here. God bless you. God bless you. So good. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. I want everybody to pray out loud. And don't pray timid. Let's pray bold. Jesus was bold when he went to the cross. They crucified him on the cross. He was naked. He took our shame so we don't have to pray in shame today. We can pray in confidence. So everybody lift your voice and pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for everything that you have done for me. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to save me, forgive me, change me. Today, I receive my rightful place as a son and daughter of God. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give them a big, big God bless you. So good. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.